I feel like I've finally come home. We're back together. It's very exciting. I feel like I, I feel like I've been on a journey, Homer, <laughs> desperately trying to get back to Penelope. Yes, and and Christmas was the siren. Well, Christmas cookies were the sirens that were just calling to me. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Today on the chat book, we gear up and get into some submissions advice around the nuts and bolts of formatting your manuscript to send out. Welcome to the first episode of season two of the chat book, which, if you're counting, is episode twenty-two. I'm your host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are the directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks. And, you know, sometimes we even do full length books of poetry, fiction and nonfiction. We started this podcast to celebrate our love of chapbooks, to bring you behind the scenes of the publishing process and to highlight folks who write chapbooks and the folks who make chapbooks. Well, we've returned. We've made it. Don't you feel like you did the day you went into the movie theater to watch The Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> no, The Empire Strikes Back came out when I was six years old. I don't remember how I felt. <laughs> it's very exciting. Many things will be revealed this season. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, oh, we've got secrets. We've got, uh, we've got intrigue. We've probably got Billy D. Williams. <laughs> you know we do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have been busy in our little break. Uh, we we tend to take the winter times to focus not just on family, but also on the production process. We've got a bunch of books in the hopper over at Bull City Press, which we'll be rolling out over the next couple of months. But boy, did we miss y'all, our, our amazing listeners, because the feedback from season one has been so heartening and so gratifying. Again, a big shout out to all the folks who joined us in season one to make it really memorable and really kind of kick us off. It's been really exciting. So what are we getting into today, Noah? Uh, so I'm calling this episode the nuts and bolts about the nuts and bolts because we're talking about um, submitting manuscripts and little formatting things like the table of contents, acknowledgement pages, fonts and margins. And we'll talk through some choices, good and bad, writers sometimes make um, on their submission docs. Wait, do you mean good and bad choices that writers sometimes make? Or do you mean choices that good and bad writers sometimes make? <laughs> Your syntax was very unclear there. <laughs> Your Yoda is incredibly good. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get started with some basics for submitting your chapbook manuscript. Well, to my mind, Noah, and you've heard me say this a million times, there is only one basic to submissions, and that is read the effing guidelines. Yes, I could not agree more. Whatever the press tells you, do that thing. There's really no reason not to, but there's like a million reasons that you might irritate an editor for something that seems inconsequential to you, but just hits on something that has bothered them for years or inconveniences them in a way that makes the job less enjoyable. Why would you want that to be your first impression? When I first started submitting, I think I wanted to try and make my mark or stand out in some way by being different in the way I set up my manuscript document. 
And as time has passed and I've become someone who reads submissions, I have become someone who very much appreciates it when whoever is submitting their manuscript follows the guidelines as they were put forth. Because when I'm reading a stack of submissions, I, it's nice to, to sort of fall into a rhythm that I can find the information quickly and, and the information is put together in such a way that it's easy for me to, to discern. Yeah. And honestly, if every manuscript looked exactly the same, we'd be judging on the thing we want to judge on, which is quality. We end up judging on that one way or another. So really that desire to look different and to sort of stand out is often very transparent to the person who ends up reading your manuscript. And if I could just jump in and add one more thing, the impulse to lean into innovative ways of formatting your document, I would encourage you to take that impulse and put it towards revising and editing the work. So there is a place where I think a writer could spend some real energy before submitting. And it's not as useful if you're submitting to a chapbook contest, but I think it's very, very useful if you're submitting directly to an editor through query. And that is a summary statement, a description of the book, maybe what you would consider a statement of purpose. One thing I find is really useful for writers to be able to do is to write what they believe the copy on the back cover of the book would say up front so that there's a clear, succinct statement of this is what the book is and who I believe its audience is and why I believe it's important in the world. I've heard something like that described as an elevator speech. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I think that's fair. Understanding what it is that makes your book special. I think that's worth putting some time into. I mean, I don't really care if it has a fancy font. Yeah, I think that's really valuable. The next thing I would talk about is identifying information, right? I think following the guidelines to know whether or not if you are submitting to a contest, if it's supposed to be anonymous or not. But if it's a situation where that hasn't been called out, I think there's some real basic information that you always want to include and you want to include it on the very first page. Name, your address. I, I encourage you to include your phone number and an email address. And I think it's okay at this point in time, to, if you have a website, to have the web address as the bottom line. Completely. That phone number piece, I think a lot of people don't realize that there are a good number of editors who love to make a phone call when they accept your manuscript. Some will do it all by email, but some actually want to talk to you as a human being. Yeah. I love that. I love making that call. That's one of my favorite parts of accepting a manuscript. So just to recap, for this identifying information on the first page, if you've got your title and then, you know, below the title, you know, skip a few lines and you put that identifying information there. And then on the following page, if you just want to type out the title again without the identifying information, so you have a fresh title page that follows that, I think that's a great way to get started. And sometimes people say, well, it's a chapbook competition that I'm submitting to, or the open reading period has a limitation on page numbers. So have I just used two pages and only communicated the title and my identifying information? Those pages don't count in your page count. So you don't have to worry about those unless the guidelines specifically say that those do count against you. That's a really good point. And I, that's a question we get a lot, actually, for our own submitters. Um, the page count is really for the content of the book. Another thing that doesn't count against your page count, the table of contents, and you need to include one. 
if you've got more than one piece in your chapbook, you want a table of contents. It's really helpful. And as someone who reads submissions as often as I do, um, I read the table of contents almost as if it's a piece in and of itself. It feels like those titles in that order kind of tell me something about what I'm about to get into. And it really sets me up to enjoy the book. When there isn't a table of contents, I will be quite honest, I notice it and it throws me off. I think with a table of contents, it's also like a quick moment to just say page numbers. A table of contents is really helpful if there's page numbers that go along with it. And a lot of times people struggle with what page is page one and which page is page two. And of course, the guidelines will always tell you if a publisher is asking for something specific. But if they don't, whatever you have and as your page numbering, as long as the table of contents matches up to that, you're fine. Yeah, I don't think anybody really cares all that much. Okay, so a lot of people also worry about fonts. They work really hard to have it appear in Garamond or Palatino Linotype or, you know, what, whatever it is. You know, friends, unless you're using like Comic Sans, do fonts really matter? Editors know that the quality of the work doesn't change depending on the font that it's presented in. Yeah, I think one of the things that's a good rule of thumb is whatever font you're going to use, be consistent throughout the whole document. That's something I really appreciate as a reader. However, you're setting up your titling. All the titles do that. However, you're setting up the body of the work, they all match the same so that throughout the document, it's very consistent. I'm someone who actually likes certain classic fonts when I read a manuscript. And so I am going to push back and say, while it doesn't really matter what font you choose, there are some fonts you may want to avoid. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I would encourage uh, our listeners to go for the fonts that are, are, are pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? Readable. Readable is the word you're looking for. And commonly used for submissions like Times New Roman or Garamond or Paladino, I think is another one that people, people pull out too. But kind of avoid all of the things that start to look like papyrus because it's just going to distract. Trust me, it yeah. will distract me from reading your manuscript and I will not appreciate your writing because I'll be so agitated from the font choice. Yeah, I guess I just said that I don't care about the font, but I I do actually not love Courier, the monospace fonts. There you go. Yeah. So whatever you do, my my advice is to go with something that's used pretty regularly and traditionally and that you keep it consistent in the document. And my advice is to listen to Noah because I clearly was talking out of both sides of my mouth when we started thinking <laughs> about fonts. Sorry. <laughs> So let's talk about the acknowledgement page. Ross, when you put out your work, how do you do your acknowledgements page? So I traditionally have included an acknowledgements page if one is requested, and I do so at the end of the manuscript. If the market does not mention one way or the other, I'll generally include that. I think there's a common fear among writers that the editor's just going to look at the acknowledgements page. And if you haven't published well, they'll never publish your book. And by and large, I just don't think that's true. I think that the acknowledgements page does help locate your work in the conversation that you're in. But I don't know that it matters significantly for anything other than that. Yeah, I think of the acknowledgement page an awful lot like I think of cover letters when we talked about cover letters in a previous episode back in season one. You know, it's a place to establish yourself and to telegraph some information to your reader. And I think you want to take the opportunity, if it's available to you, to do that. 
And when you do, I, I, again, I ask you to just be simple and straightforward, alphabetize it by the journal or alphabetize it by the um, piece titles from within the book. I'm trying to think of what other information even goes in a manuscript. I think sometimes we see an about the author page. And unless you've been asked not to include identifying information, I do think that a professional author bio being included on the final page of the manuscript is really useful. Yeah, I like that too. Again, if it if it shows up in let's let's be frank here, a lot of this stuff is happening through submittable and an about the author opportunity is often provided in the submittable format. So if that's the case, it's fine to have it there. In most of the places where uh, folks are submitting, if it's a contest, they want to keep it anonymous. And so, of course, you would pull the about the author stuff out of there. So I think we're I think we're kind of through the nuts and bolts. That's some real basic stuff. But it's also stuff that I think remains mysterious to a fair number of writers, especially those writers who are early in their submissions careers. A tip that someone gave me years ago that I continue to use and lean on is once I'm ready to submit a document that's a you know a multi-page document that's a manuscript of whatever format, whether it's a uh, a word document or a PDF. I email it to myself and I open the attachment as it's arrived to me so I can see what it's going to look like when it gets to the other side of the submission process. And that's where I see if page breaks got screwed up or if margins don't look right or if maybe I need to create a little more line spacing so that things are easier to read. And I just pass that along as like a pay it forward piece of advice that's really (laughs) helped me um, catch mistakes that I missed the first time around. But you actually have just brought up something I think that is very very valuable. And that is that a Word document won't look the same on every single version of Word on every single operating system. So if you're putting in a bunch of carriage returns between stories or a bunch of carriage returns between poems, that's going to display differently depending on the computer you're on. Using the insert page break feature is always a better bet. PDFs actually do display exactly the same regardless of the platform. That's why they were invented. One of the things I really like about transferring a document into a PDF is also in Word, if this option is um, turned on in your particular Word software, it will underline where the syntax may be odd or it will call out where a spelling might be odd with a dotted line either in red or in blue or however your computer appears. And that's not something I want an editor to see on the other end. If I'm using colloquialisms or unusual um, syntax, I don't want all, I don't want word calling out all the mistakes I'm making when in fact I'm doing that deliberately. You don't want Bill Gates to say, Noah, you're doing it wrong and I want to tell your (laughs) editor about it. That's exactly right. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we talk the way we talk. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners, you know what to do. If you enjoy the podcast, if you're glad we're back, we want you to click subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they go live. We're on Stitcher. We're on Apple Podcasts. Pretty much if it's a major pod place, you're going to hear us there. And listen, if you have a moment, let us know what you think. Make sure you rate us five stars and only five stars (laughs) and be sure to tell your friends. We love that people have been passing word of mouth, their excitement for the the podcast, uh, and we hope you continue. 
Yeah, and if you create a six-star rating, we would accept that too, but nothing less than five stars. <laughs> you can find out what we're up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Bull City Press on both. You can also visit BullCityPress.com to see what we got up to during our winter break. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ross White. And you can find me at DC Noah, or you can email us at chatbook at BullCityPress.com. Peace out. We're so glad we're back. Thanks, everybody. We're glad to be back. 